This is the Jaguars Broadcast Weekend Review Podcast presented by TIAA Bank. I'm J.P. Shadrick with the best of the week from Jags Radio, Jaguars.com, and our social channels, Jaguars Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. It's Friday, June 9th, and plenty from Jaguars assistant coaches in their availability from Wednesday afternoon. That's coming up a little later. But the biggest news this week came Wednesday morning when the Jaguars unveiled the renderings for the Stadium of the Future project on FirstDowntownJacksonville.com and the Jaguars social channels. The design is state-of-the-art, and the area around the stadium is very much involved. I caught up with HOK design principal Peter Broder and Jaguars president Mark Lamping to go through the design and I asked Lamping how we got to this point. Well, it's a big day for sure. You know, we, we first started the discussion, uh, the public dialogue regarding um, the need to deal with this, the, the, the stadium back in 2016. And three years ago, we began a formal process with the city of Jacksonville. And, um, you know, today marks the end of that three-year process with the unveiling of the design. It was a very extensive process. It began with a thorough evaluation of the existing stadium, uh, which led us to the conclusion that um, there was a possibility we could uh, meet, meet our needs through a renovation. Uh, we then talked to our fans and other stakeholders, primary amongst them the University of Florida, University of Georgia, the Tax Slayer Bowl, got input from them in terms of what they would like to see in a stadium in the future. Uh, we then had a very extensive design competition. Uh, firms from across the, comp- uh, the, the country uh, presented their conceptual designs, and uh, last December we selected uh, uh, HOK, and since then we've been refining the design, uh, working on the, the constructability, working on pricing, and we were just very excited to be able to unveil today uh, you know, what the future could look like. So Peter, obviously the, some of the things that Mark just talked about probably made this project so appealing for HOK to, to try to jump in and get involved. What stood out the most? Absolutely. Uh, The potential for this project as a catalyst, not only for the surrounding development, for all of downtown Jacksonville, uh, was enormously exciting for us, really from the outset of the design. Uh, The design process was equally thorough, as Mark outlined, um, and we really prioritized um, fan comfort and fan experience, uh, first and foremost, throughout every decision made through the design process. Um, And that factors into some of the amenities that you see um, in the the artwork that was unveiled today. Um, Tremendously excited about that. And it really begins with that experience as shown here, uh, walking the promenade and entering through a new landscape and new garden ways that lead you to the concourse and to the front door of the building. Uh, the concourses themselves now significantly expanded as shown here, um, expanded to the point where we've now doubled, tripled, and in some areas quadrupled this, the width of those concourse spaces. Um, a lot of discussion and excitement, obviously, around the facade and the roof. Uh, that was designed in such a way, again, to maximize fan comfort, to reduce solar heat gain, um, to shield from inclement weather. And um, it, additionally, uh, it becomes a really signature and iconic element to the design as well. Um, it's seldom, I think, that renovations are discussed as an icon, and um, this venue certainly has the opportunity to be just that, an icon. All right, so the flexibility of this space, guys. I mean, you mentioned some of the other stakeholders in the stadium and maybe some ideas down the road for other events that could come in here. How important were those discussions in the design phase of, you know, more seats, less seats, uh, different setups and everything? Certainly. It starts with the seats, uh, and it actually starts with the roof, too. Uh, Maximizing the full usage of this venue in a multipurpose fashion starts with a full roof canopy. And so that was central to the design decisions. Um, From a seating standpoint, 
definitely thinking about flexibility uh, for NFL uh, events, the ability to um, play to a home crowd of around 62,000 seats um, was first and foremost part of the design. But then the flexibility to expand for multi-purpose events for the Florida Georgia game. Um, we wanted to design the expansion seating in a way that was as seamless as possible. Um, and that, that certainly factors into creating a terrific fan experience for those Florida Georgia fans or uh, attendees of, of any um, of these expanded events, whether that's the Gator Bowl, the college football playoffs, um, international soccer. Uh, that was certainly factored into the design thinking too. Um, not just from a seating flexibility standpoint, but from a uh, from a character standpoint too, creating a truly international uh, stadium for soccer events. We see some of the renderings outside the stadium as well, but how important is this stadium and this project to the, the city of Jacksonville and downtown Jacksonville in the future here, Mark? Well, I think it's critical. I mean, I think we're at a very important time in the history of Jacksonville. The city's on fire uh, on, on every measure. Uh, the Jaguars are in a ascending position. And, you know, the primary purpose is to um, have our downtown, like so many other downtowns across this country and uh, cities similar size of Jacksonville or smaller or larger, to have that downtown become a real economic engine that can generate the resources to help invest throughout the community, particularly in those, those underserved areas of, of Jacksonville. You know, what we hope to do uh, is try to replicate the impact of what is, what's been so positive with um, the growth of the Brooklyn La Villa area that's you know, to, the, to the west of downtown. And you can physically see how that investment in the Brooklyn area now is moving eastward towards, towards downtown. Um, we think we can replicate that, but we would do it on the east side of downtown. And it means bring, uh, 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 bringing a new neighborhood where people have a chance to live, where they have a chance to work, uh, that serves as a great connector between the St. John's River to the sports complex, to the out east neighborhood and beyond. And the stadium being an, an important part of that. Um, and it's not just you know, securing the future uh, of the Jaguars, it's, it's protecting the, um, the very important uh, uh, Florida Georgia game that has happened here every year and is, is something that is really important for all of us here in Jacksonville. Uh, trying to elevate the uh, the Gator Bowl so it could be a legitimate uh, candidate to uh, become part of an expanded college football uh, playoffs, to be able to attract other events, um, international soccer, uh, you know, we, we mentioned, but concerts and, and, and events that can make a big impact in this community. And there isn't a, a new stadium or arena that's being built around the country that isn't being master planned uh, you know, with an entertainment district as part of it. Because as these rights holders, people that, 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 that make the decision on where these events go, they want to make sure that, that their fans, uh, that their customers have things to do before, during, and after these events. And an investment like this, even as far as the NFL is concerned, you know, puts us in a legitimate position to be able to compete for the NFL draft. I think all of those are, are big things for the community, and you know, I think now is our time. Next step in this process is getting out in the community. 14 community huddles. I think you're on the schedule for all of them, Mark. <laughs> you're going to have a busy couple of weeks ahead. What can we expect from these events? Well, what we want to do is, is uh, you know, share our message with the community. I mean, this has been three years' worth of work in collaboration with a lot of people, but there's a lot of others that, you know, we haven't heard from yet. And what we want to do is do it in a, in a very formal way. So, you know, starting Monday, 
and continuing over the next 10 days, we will be uh, going out into the community. We will be holding uh, 14 uh, community huddles. Uh, we will share more details uh, behind the design, um, uh, ask for comments, uh, ask for, for suggestions, uh, take into consideration that input, and I think we'll end up with a much, we think we have a great product right now, but I think we'll end up with an even better product after we go through this process. The full conversation with Jags President Mark Lamping and HOK Design Principal Peter Broder available on Jaguars.com and the Jaguars social channels, plus renderings of the design available at FirstDowntownJacksonville.com. And yes, as Lamping referenced, there will be 14 community huddles over a 10-day stretch starting Monday, June 12th. Lamping is scheduled to attend all of them, and they are free to the public. A full list of dates and locations available at Jaguars.com or FirstDowntownJacksonville.com. Now to football. Head coach Doug Peterson spoke with the media Monday ahead of the final week of organized team activities, and he discussed what the team has accomplished so far this offseason. One, because the participation, the amount of guys that are here, that's that's the number one thing that I look at uh, because it's a voluntary offseason program, right? Next week is the mandatory mini camp, the only three days that you know the guys are required to be here. So uh, I've been really pleased, been been uh, have great participation, great effort. Guys are uh, doing the right things. You know, we've been able to work on some stuff that uh, the coaches have, you know taken away from last season or new ideas, new thoughts. We've been able to implement those, you know, this, this spring and, and really, uh, um, you know, just, just get stuff on film, really. But it's been, it's been a good offseason so far. Have you decided how you're going to handle minicamp yet? I have. Are you going to share that with us? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> that was Monday. But by Friday, the team had announced that select players, including a majority of veterans who participated in the offseason program to date, well, they'll be excused from the entire veteran mandatory minicamp. Rookies, first-year players, and injured veterans will still be required to participate. So don't expect to hear from Trevor Lawrence next week. He spoke with the media this week and was asked the mindset now that the Jaguars are the favorites in the division and the team is now being hunted. I mean, it doesn't change anything for us. I mean, obviously, if anything, it's got to work even harder. I mean, it doesn't really change anything for us. Regardless of the expectations, the game is, is played on Sunday. you got to go out there and play the game. And regardless of if people think you're going to win, think you're going to lose, doesn't really matter. So, um, And that's the mindset we had last year, being pretty much the underdog in every game, and we got to carry that over this year too, and we still have to have that chip on our shoulder and prepare the same way. You know, we didn't, we still didn't get to where we wanted to last year, so we have a lot more work to do. In your own mind, and I, and I know you're not going to actually tell us a number, but do you sort of have a, a number in your own mind about how much more points per game you would like to see out of this, out of the offense? Obviously, you want more. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you're looking to improve in every category and every part of your personal game and as an offense, and. At the end of the day, no, I'm not going to give you an answer because we're going to score as many points as it takes to win. And some weeks that'll be, some weeks that might be 35, some weeks that might be 17. Who knows what it's going to be? Uh, obviously, we want to score as many points as we can. But at the end of the day, if we got one more point than the other team, that's what it, that's what it's about. Trevor, so, have you seen anything from Calvin or learned about Calvin that you didn't know maybe you know three or four months ago? Yeah, I mean, I just I never really I know some guys that played with him in Atlanta. Um, I don't keep in touch with those guys as much anymore. So I didn't know much about him personally. Obviously, I know the kind of player he is. I've watched in the last few years and um, was super excited about that aspect of him joining our team. But just to get to know him as a person and just to see his work ethic and 
and how hungry he is to get back and to play and how happy he is to be a part of our team. I think that's been the, the coolest part of having him here. Is it nice to have a offseason? Like you're not adjusting to the yeah. league, not adjusting to a new For coach sure. and a new system? Definitely. You know, to have to have the same staff, to have a lot of the same players, to have that carryover and the system especially. You know, this is the first time in a while I haven't been learning a new offense. So that feels good having that and being able to focus on little parts of my game um, instead of just making sure I got the installs and know the the um, the plan coming into practice, you know, obviously you, you look over that too, but not having that stress of just learning the playbook, I can just really focus on my, my game and my mechanics. Lawrence was also a guest of John Ozier on the Ozone Podcast this week. You can listen to that conversation on the official Jaguars Podcast Network. The Jaguars are locked in for 2023. The thrill of a win and electricity of the fans make game day at the bank an experience like no other. So join your friends, family, and fellow diehards and become a Jaguars season ticket member. The fun is here, and you don't want to miss out. Visit jaguars.com tickets or call 904-633-2000. In a moment, the availabilities from Jaguars assistant coaches. All that after this. Jags fans, fill your wallet with one debit card that screams Duval exclusively from TIAA Bank. The Jacksonville Jaguars Visa debit card comes with a fierce look and fantastic features so you can pay with pride wherever you go. And it's yours free when you open a Yield Pledge checking account. Up your financial game today. Visit a financial center near you or find us at TIAABank.com slash Jagscard. TIAA Bank is a division of TIAA, FSB, member FDIC, and the official bank of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Welcome back to the Jaguars Broadcast Weekend Review Podcast presented by TIAA Bank. There's no better time to become a Daily's Place Blue member than right now. Reserve your 2023 premium seat membership or an individual luxury experience today. Email ticketing at boldevents.com or call 904-633-2000. Let's get to the assistant coaches. They were made available in a roundtable format Wednesday afternoon and will begin on the offensive side. Quarterbacks coach Mike McCoy talked about the difference of Trevor Lawrence in the meeting room now as opposed to when McCoy took over. And we always said from day the first meeting, we said, hey, listen, we're going to come in and we're going to work our tails up. We're going to have fun, too. It's not going to be just football you know, an hour, hour of an hour. If something comes up one day and we're going to crack a joke with somebody, someone did something in practice, like Christian the other day, tripped in practice, running around. Well, we're going to turn the film on. We're going to joke about it, have fun. And things come up with our families we always talk about. Um, so that, that's what it is. But now the great thing is, you know, early on in the offseason program, we, we start from scratch. You know, you, you install day one again, and then you keep on going. But the, the great thing about it is now we can watch more film. And we can have more open conversation about, hey, you remember the Kansas City game, the second series of the game, this came up. Or he can ask a question like a protection. Hey, you know, in Dallas, this situation came up. I made this call. What do you think about me doing this now? And that, that's, the, that's, that's experience. And that's kind of what was developed. I think that's why you saw our offense take off towards the end of the year. The mistakes early in the year – I hate to say it, but some of them are expected. You, you know, there's gonna he's gonna miss some things. Um, you look at the Washington game now. I mean, all the offseason program. Every time you turn that game on, it's like, gosh, that was awful. It's and you, you you miss a ball, a throw here to Christian. You miss a ball here, or a protection, or a cut by the running backs. It's like, well, and it's like, listen, that was week one of the season. This is how we're gonna learn. This is how we're gonna get better. Just make a note of it. I mean. He's throwing a ball in a live situation 
in Washington for the first time with some of these teammates. He's never played a game at that level with Christian Kirk. He missed Travis on a couple. Well, Travis was out. You know, he didn't get to play the rookie year. So we, he missed all those opportunities. So the speed of the game from going from preseason games to the opener and as a season, it picks up. So you're going to miss some things. And there was a throw or two here and there as we got going. And uh, there's a throw in Indy that we missed to Christian. And it's like, okay, we're a little late with the throw. And then two weeks later, it's even a tighter coverage and we make the throw. So it's just you, you grow over time. How hard has that been in the league for a long time to be patient with a quarterback going through that kind of stuff? Well, hey, my job's easy. It's easy <laughs> to sit here, talk to you after a game, or talk as we're sitting here now, or for me to watch with a remote in my hand after the fact on the plane ride home and say, oh, why didn't we throw it over here? Or it should have gone over here. It's the one thing I've, I've always told the quarterbacks is listen. We're going to sit down in between every series or in practice after every practice or when we have in a special teams period during practice. I'm always going to ask you, what did you see? And then it's my job to correct you or my job to say, good point. And we knew there was going to be some growing pains last year in the first year. So you know that. You're, it's a young quarterback. Um, I'm also very fortunate to have coached two of the greatest to ever play the game and Phillip Rivers and Peyton Manning, and then the guys that I play with in Carolina, Jake DeLomes of the world, Rodney Pete, Steve Berline, some great veterans that are outstanding players that have played a lot of football, so I was spoiled. Um, and I've also been in some games where you play with some younger guys and you understand they're going to miss some things. And I played the position. Doug played the position. So it's we see those mistakes sometimes, and it, it, it kills you, but it's like, okay, We've thrown some interceptions. It's not going to be the last one. We're going we're gonna to miss certain throws, but just keep going. And that, that's one of the main things for me is having played the position is just to keep them going. On the sidelines, talk them out of the funks and very similar to the Charger game. Just keep going, buddy. We, we, we've done a lot of really good things. You're as talent. I mean, the conversation after the London game, there's certain things you, you just got to help him get to where he is. But we all knew – the type of player Trevor could become, and that's where he's at today. Running backs coach Bernie Parmalee has another new addition in third-round draft pick Tank Bigsby. I asked Parmalee to compare and contrast the styles of Bigsby and Travis Etienne Jr. You know what? It's, they're similar, yeah. um, but a little bit like Tank is more downhill in between, more power, but he does have the quickness to, to be that home run hitter. Yeah. Uh, Travis is that slasher, you know, that smooth slasher. He, he's tougher than what people think. He will put his shoulder down. Um, and then I think, like, with Travis, as far as being split out, he can do that. Uh, Tank can do it also, actually. He, he, got, he wasn't asked to catch a lot of passes in, at Auburn, but he actually has good hands. So we're finding that out also. How important is it is in today's NFL to have all these different types of running backs in your room, to have kind of uh, the, the big guy, the fast guy, the guy who can do everything all in your same group? Well, you love to have the, the total package. Some guys can do both, some guys can't, but you just got to play to the strengths of the guys that you have. So if, if we're lacking something, you got to get somebody that can, that can bring what you're lacking. Um, but it's also it's really good. It's like a kid in the candy store. You got everything you need right there in the room. It's like, okay, now we can play. You want power football? We can run power football. You want this 
slashers type, we can do that. We can do any type of football you want. So when you get those guys that can do multiple things, um, it, it bodes well for the offense. The offensive line has some moving parts in this offseason, but there's no one more excited about what they have to offer than offensive line coach Phil Rauscher. We have a really good group. I think that if you asked them, they would tell you that they're they're the tightest group uh, on the team. Like they take a lot of pride in that. So uh, there's nothing that that we don't know about each other and kind of what our limitations are and what our uh, and what we excel at. So it's it's just a mix of finding the right combination, the right five guys, and where that is. And and it may be different today than it is when training camp starts in comparison to what, what the uh, the first first game ends up being against Indy. It's just it's finding that mix and, and how that plays in. Now, are there parts of the puzzle that we feel really good about? I, like Luke Fortner is going to play center for us. He, he did a really good job, and he's developed into uh, a really uh, much stronger player than when he than the season ended. So you, you, you kind of like – Change always happens. Change is inevitable on the offensive line. And, and, but these guys together as a unit cohesively, they understand what it takes to get that job done. So we feel really good about that. At tight end, second-round pick Brenton Strange could make an early impact on the offense. Tight ends coach Richard Angulo explains why. I think he's done a good job. Um, you know, he's... We can use him all over the place, really. Um, he's, he's got a big body. He can run. He can catch. Um, so whether it's in line, split out, um, wherever, um, I think we can use him anywhere, really. Um, and he's also done a good job. He's a smart guy. He's able to grasp. He's able to get a feel for things without having to take a bunch of reps. So uh, he's done good. Well, you know, you draft a guy in the second round. you got high expectations for him. So I think he's right where we want him to be. Um, obviously, you know, uh, with Evan not being here, it gives him more opportunity for sure. Um, so, he's, like I said, he's done good. He's fit, fit right in with the locker room, right with the room. Um, so, he's extremely excited to have him here, honestly. And finally, wide receivers coach Chad Hall inherits an outstanding position group, but there's only one football to go around. How does Hall battle the egos that could come at the wide receiver position? No, I mean, that's my job. Um, you know, and uh, luckily, I know I haven't been coaching long, but I had that experience in Buffalo with Stephon Diggs. You know, he was a little bit of a whatever you want to call him in Minnesota, and then he came here, and that was my responsibility. And I and and we made sure that uh, you know, great players are great players, and they just want to win. And if we win, it doesn't matter. If we lose, then sometimes they're upset because they want to do more. They felt they could help more. You know, those star players, but. No, we're not going to have that issue. I mean, those guys, we meet every morning, uh, those three in, myself, and, uh, we're, I mean, they're, everything's going great. What's your concern for a guy like Calvin who, if he plays in the opener, which everyone expects, it'll be 23 months between games. That's a huge layoff. What's your concern about where he could be rusty or what his biggest issue would be, if any, you know, dealing with that layoff? You know, I don't think there, there's no concern on my end. Um, I think for him, it's just, you know, that first game back, he's probably going to just have some butterflies, you know. He's, you know, but exciting butterfly. You know, it's just been a while. Um, but other than that, once he gets by those nerves, makes his first catch, I think it's going to be, he'll be back to normal. You know, I mean, it's like riding a bike. You know, he's done it at a high level already in this league. So he's just got to get back on the bike.
Just in this offense, your, your first look at this thing, how difficult is it to play receiver in this offense considering the movement all over the place, guys can line up in different areas, Christian's inside or outside if he needs to be. What kind of what kind of mental makeup do you have? Yeah, you got to be smart. You got to be smart. And I, I, I challenge, especially at the receiver position, because you can play any spot. Sometimes you're going to be the X, the Z, the F, the Y. It doesn't matter. But the concepts stay the same, so it's really the bigger picture that you have to know. And then once you know where to align, you know the concept, you know the big picture, so you know what you're doing. But it takes time. And I took time for me. I mean, I told him exactly what I did when I got here, got the offense, looked at it, started making note cards. And that's what, that's my way of learning. And then I figure out the con, you know. So it's, I tell him how I do it. I give him ideas. I'm always here to help for any time they come in my office. But I also tell them if there's one, there's, there's only a couple things you can control on the football field. Well, knowing what to do is what you can control. So if you're, if you're out there doing the wrong thing, then, you know, you're not going to play, right? And I tell them not to, you know, just, I'm not, you know, being mean or anything. It's just, this is what it is. Like, this is, this is your job. This is the NFL. Paid a lot of money. If you don't know what you're doing, you're not going to be out there. And that was one of the things I told him today. I was like, hey, you know two positions? When you come back, you better know three. You know, because that's what we need. And it's hard. So answering your question, you have to be smart. But we have, we have, a, we have enough time where even the lowest common denominator, we can make it happen. And again, that's my job. Let's move along to the defense. Senior defensive assistant Bob Sutton has over 40 years of coaching experience, over 20 of those in the NFL. He was the Army head coach from 1991 to 99 and then started his NFL career as an assistant in 2000. And that includes two different stints as a defensive coordinator in the NFL with the Jets and the Chiefs. With Sutton, I started with a major theme for the defense moving ahead. How do you get more pass rush? out of this team? That's a that's a simple question, but maybe not a simple answer. Well, I think, you know, of course, most, I think the most common way people uh, uh, analyze pass rush is sacks. Uh, my personal feeling would be that pressure is one of the really important things. Um, and I've used this with players before. Uh, when I was in Kansas City, I had Justin Houston, and uh, he got 22 sacks, half sack short of the record. Now he, he was in on, there were 750 some passes in that year. Now, if you get 22 out of 750 in baseball, you're done. Basketball, you're done, right? In football, is it's a mark, but the point of it is, is to get a sack isn't really the most important. We love them, we, they're great. But the most important thing is keep pressure on the quarterback. You know, if you don't affect the quarterback uh, in today's game, I think it's, it's really hard to win, you know. And um, in fact, if you ever look at QBR, the quarterback ratings, and you look at the stat sheet we get after the game, the team with the highest QBR usually wins. And so when you say QBR, you're really talking about affecting the quarterback. And that's, that's sacks pressures, move them off the spot, disguise, tight coverage. And I really think that's the only way you win. You know, completion percentages in the last, uh, I think, are up to about 66 or 67%. That's the average. Yeah. You know, so you you got you to gotta play great team defense to affect the quarterbacks today.
A major part of that pass rush, Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker under the tutelage of outside linebackers coach Bill Shuey. I asked him how Allen can expand his late season success over a 17-game schedule. It's extremely difficult to stretch out over a full 17 games, but you know that's the goal right there because to get the production that you want, you can't have lapses like Josh had, and he knows that. And, and sometimes when you're aware of that, it doesn't necessarily help the situation. You know, because uh, somebody had asked me earlier, and I said, you know, the one thing about Josh being being a team guy, like he loves being a Jaguar. You know, last year he's a captain. He wants to be the guy to make the play that changes the game, and he works hard at it. But the situation still has to present itself. You just have to be prepared when it does. And so that's what we say, you know, like we always want guys to do their job, do your 111, trust in the process, and trust the man next to you that he's going to do his job. And, uh, you know, I think for him, the consistency part is real. When you look at the whys behind some of that stuff, you know, some of that's going to be out of his control sometime. He just got to keep going. And I think that's kind of what he did last year. Like, he, yeah, sure, there was some frustration when the production went down for that lull, but he kept working hard and kept having, having – faith in not only himself but the guys around him and the trust that the coaching staff had on you know in him to keep putting him in the position and and then eventually things turn around and they have a tendency to do that like though they can come in bunches you had a couple you know you get a couple of two sack games and 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 things change around a little bit for him so i think for him the, the thought process is is a lesson to be learned from last year you started off pretty good you had a lull then you closed pretty good at the end um you know, just keep keep focused on the next play, the next play, the next play. You know, you talk about 60 minutes of football, and then you, and you're taking stuff from the game, but at the end of the day, you don't really want to go and evaluate your game at halftime or anything like that. You, you, you think about the next series, the next play, and then you see where it, where it, where it, ends, where it ends up at, at the very end of the game. But for Josh, just keep, he, he keeps working. He keeps working in-game. He keeps working in practice, and I'm excited to see him hopefully soon. How, give us a degree of difficulty of what Trayvon Walker did last year, going outside really for the first time. He didn't do a lot of that at Georgia, and you know his his effort at least in trying to play outside, and maybe his ability to move around as the season goes. Yeah, I do think it's, I think it's, I think there is a a, a certain level of difficulty to doing that, um, and I think some of the learning curve that he had. I mean, that's that's real. You know, that's real. There's, you look at the space that's involved. You look at just the stance sometimes, you know, being a two-point stance. You know, I remember working in Chicago with Travis Gibson, who was, a, was essentially an interior D lineman. He came out. He had to work on his stance just for a while just to get comfortable in a stance. You know, let alone playing the position and the scheme and everything like that. But then you talk about, you know, you're looking at the angles that happen. The angles are different on the outside. You know, you can look at it and say, well, is a three technique the same as a five technique? And it, and it does play out the same in a lot of, in a lot of aspects. But just the, the angles, the space, some of that is different. The timing of things is different. And so, you know, on a, on a, on a, glo- on a bigger scale, you can say, yeah, well, if I'm playing on an edge of one guy, it's going to be the same whether I'm on the center, I'm the edge of the guard, I'm the edge of the tackle. But the further you move out, the more space there is, and then the more the you know the, the space of the game, the timing of the hands, the timing of the move area, and all that other stuff changes from that standpoint. I thought he did a great job of playing physical in the run game and setting edges. Um, that sometimes gets overlooked 
until you don't have the ability to do that. Like those are one of those things you almost take it for granted when you have a guy like Josh, a guy like Trayvon, and Calevon does a good job, you know, on that stuff. And the guys we had last year, I thought they did a pretty good job. We had a good group from that standpoint. So I don't think we as a staff took it for granted or anything like that, but you could see where you could almost, you know, naturally do it. Um, but he did a great job there. He did a pretty good job in coverage too. I know there's a couple of those wheel routes, you know, where you know where Josh got caught up and Trayvon though for a guy that's coming from a down lineman in college to go out there and play you know, I, I can't remember the exact number, but I feel like 80, 90 coverage reps in a year. That's a that's a pretty substantial, and, and the coverage techniques that he played, it wasn't like he was playing the same coverage technique every time. And so, you know, those are strides. The pass rush part of it, I think he did learn and get better as it goes. It may not have shown up in the numbers, but that was the thing coming into this offseason. Let's see if we can, keep, you know, kind of start this offseason where we finished last season and build from there, not take any steps back, and I think he came in that way. He spent some time on his own in the offseason before he even got here. And you could tell I felt like he came in better than when he left last year. So now it was my job, you know, along with Mike and with Buck and Rory and everybody else that's here to collaborative, collaboratively work together and see if we can keep inching him forward. And I think, I think he has. Now it's just going to be a matter of, you know, the opportunity and see how it translates into production. Defensive line coach Brenson Buckner had more on Trayvon Walker, including his ability inside. I think Trayvon can handle anything because Trayvon was an inside guy that we moved outside. So that just lets you know how athletic that he, he, he is. I think, once again, the football maturity, the football IQ, a lot of things Trayvon saw last year as an outside linebacker was the first time he ever saw those as a football player because he's never been in that world. And I thought he handled it perfectly. And I think he's coming back year, this year knowing, anticipating what he needs to know, and he's putting in the work. You know, he splits time between me and Coach Shuey, mm -hmm. and we bring the whole group together and we work because there's a lot of crossover. And you can just you can see the, the football maturity starting to kick in. You're starting to see the body starting to unlock now where it's not like, oh, I'm going to be surprised about what's going to happen. Or, oh, I saw this 10, 15, 20 times last year. Let me react to it. So I don't think that is a challenge for him. I think with Trayvon, he's a football player, and that's why we loved him so much. We didn't look at him and say, oh, he's an outside linebacker or he's a defensive. We, like, we saw a football player, and I think the game is built around those guys that can play those multiple positions with no kind of drop-off, and that's what he's becoming. Who is the Dewan Smoot? Um, who is who is that role? Because he, he had some big key roles in the, late in the season. He he has some um, some great roles. I I don't think we have one because what he was was a unique unique guy. But we have some guys who bring some special to the table. The young man out of uh, Louisville who was drafted, Yazir. Yazir is a bullet off the edge. And he's showing in these OTAs that, you know, he understands the run game too. So that's a that's that's something he's gonna bring bring to the table. You know, inside playing with guys, we have guys like uh like Dixon, who that we moved from outside linebacker and moved him into the defensive line room, and he's starting to get a little bit bigger now. With, with didn't affect his speed, but he still has his power, so he brings a unique skill set that can go in there and play. So I don't think you really ever replace guys like Smoot because they're so special. Now I'll be 
undermining what you know what kind of player he is. I think he's a special player. But guys can add their different flavor to it that can alleviate some of those things, but just do it a different way. Tony Gilbert is the inside linebackers coach for the Jags. He has the league's leading tackler in Foyer Aluakun in his room, of course. But 2022 first-round pick Devin Lloyd was under the microscope as a rookie last season. Gilbert explained his progression as an off-the-ball linebacker. We've seen great improvement off the ball, and I think for him, because he did so much in college, moving around, I think for him, just being a stack backer was probably, uh, it was probably an adjustment. But I think after seeing and going through his growing pains of the rookie year, coming back at the end and having some success, like he actually texted me, you know, our first week back and was like, hey, I'm tired of putting mediocre film out there, and I said, I love it. I said, yeah, I want to help you. You know, we all want to help you be the best version of yourself and be the best player that you want to be. So you can tell mentally, physically, emotionally, he's in a great spot. You know, I think he took some time off to really just give his body and his mind a rest, and he's he's been great. Let's go to the secondary, starting with safeties coach Cody Grimm. Andre Sisco has been in the weight room this offseason, it looks like, but Grimm knows the improvement can continue for number five. Yeah, yeah, he made strides as the season went on. He left. He still left a few plays out there, whether he dropped the ball or, or this and that. And uh, and then we were working on it, some of this OTAs, you know, as far as, you know, putting him down some strong, you know, so he gets some different looks that he doesn't always get unless, you know, he'll get it a little bit, but off of motion to, to round out his game better. We'll make him better in the run game this season for sure. And then on the back end, I mean, he's he's got a gift. I mean, he's got range and he's got good eyes. He, he's got a good feel back there. Now we just got to make some of the plays we missed and then we'll have a big year. Andrew Wingard, still around here, man, just making plays, big moments. He's out there some in those three safety looks. So what kind of intangibles can does he bring to this, not only the safety room, but this defense as a whole? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a lunch pail type guy. He comes to work every day. He's, he's a pro. He works hard. He understands the whole defense, his job, other rules, and then that's part of the reason he had so much success down there. We, you know, asked him to do some stuff, whether it's linebacker that that he was under able to understand, and, and then uh, obviously make plays. You know, we harp on turnovers and stuff like that, and Dewey gets that, you know, punch out versus the Ravens, which was huge, and pick versus Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Whereas just stuff we always talk about as far as, you know, Tennessee was spread for his probably quick game and he jumps it and they throw the hitch and he makes a play. So he's able to take stuff from the meeting room to the field and, uh, and then he's always just a pro. Shows up to work, gets his job done. And finally, cornerbacks. Deshae Townsend played in the NFL for 13 seasons, 12 of those with the Steelers. I asked him about the mindset of cornerback Tyson Campbell and his improvement moving into year three. You know, one thing that we talked about from the first year um, after I saw him and watched his tape from before I coached him to to the next year was, all right, let's find our ways to find the ball. You know, uh, turning some of those plays into PBUs of getting the head around, and we saw him make some good plays on some back shoulders and, fair share his interceptions that he got. His next step is, all right, let's turn these PBUs into interceptions. And each year you're going to see him improve. You know, the more reps he gets, the more opportunities he gets to locate and track the ball. You know, you see him working at it daily. And that's going to be the next step. You know, not just covering the guy. Let's find ways to make them pay when they do throw it your way. 
and that's going to be our ultimate goal. Like That's what he grinds and works on. He's working on a little part of the game and understanding what the offense is doing. And that's the thing that you love about him. Like he, we meet every morning, like Wednesday, Thursday during the week. We meet every morning before practice, before everybody else goes, and we watch tape. We watch other guys. We watch the offense. And so he's taking that next step to make sure if it's not just the physical part, it's the mental part that's going to separate him. And he's working at it. How hard is that to? You know, he had that. You're talking about tracking the ball. He yeah. had some. How hard is that to? to overcome, to improve upon. It is an improvement. Yeah, it is. It's, it's just something that you just got to work. You know, it's a timing thing, a field thing. It's also understanding what they're trying to do and where the quarterback's trying to throw it there. So it's it's something that's, you know, if everybody can do it, we would all be doing it. But it's something that you have to work at and he's working at. So he didn't have bad ball skills. He just yeah, fundamentally you just was Yeah, you got to work there. at it. Yeah, you got to work. But, you know, some of it is, you know, you look at a lot of guys in college that taught to play through the hands. So you got to think they got 10,000 reps of telling Junior what their college coach told them to do is go play through the hands because that's their rules. Like you can make contact in college without it being a PI, but in this league, they're going to throw a flag. So you better get your head around. So you got to do some stuff to coach some things out of young guys. And he's one of those guys that you just have to coach it out of them, and, and he's working on it. Darius Williams. A little older than the rest of the room, yeah, right? He's yeah. A different path, the right. NFL, the college stuff. So, how does that help him? That yeah. just he's lived some life. Now he has, you know, he's he's lived some life, but he's he's not old in football years. You know, he's a little bit older when his path to get here, but his body might not be as old as the years that has that's been in the league. So, but it, it, it's just his intangibles, you know, playing with some different guys that are really good players, and then he has to be self-made. You know, he went to a, a small school, went to UAB was a free agent. So he had to figure out the tough way of this is what I need to do to be a pro. And that type of uh, things that you can give the young guys in the rest of the room is invaluable. You know, and he's that type of guy that he's a pro. He's quiet, not going to say much, but he comes to work and he'll share it with you if you ask. More with assistant coaches available at Jaguars.com. Catch all our audio on Jaguars.com through the podcast link at the top of the homepage or on the official Jaguars podcast network. That's on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you download your pods. And, of course, we love the feedback, so leave us a comment and a five-star rating. Thanks for listening. I'm J.P. Shadrick. We'll catch you next week on the Jaguars broadcast weekend review podcast presented by TIAA Bank.